It's uh, good to have you. I'm going to start with these announcements as people are gathering in. So if you have your order service there, um, uh, yeah, we'll just quickly run through these. Um, so good to see you. You're very welcome to our communion service. Um, I'm told that we normally have our communion on the second Sunday of the month, but in my thinking, it was always going to be today. <laughs> and so it works out well, as you'll see from the preaching as well. God is good in that. Um, but uh, yeah, that we have communion this morning. You'll see that next week we continue our series in Joshua. Uh, we are going to look at chapter 9, and that's the, um, the Israelites are now in the, the land, and uh, there's a group of people there who deceive them. And uh, we'll have to learn what God wants us to, to learn from that. Uh, so that's next Sunday. If you've come to the, the church and you would like to uh, be prayed for, uh, then this little table at the front is kind of set up as a meeting point uh, so that people can uh, come and be prayed for. Um, and I suppose it's saying is that we sort of fellowship uh, with each other and with the Lord as we just talk to him about the issues that we have. You'll see uh, in number three that the moderator has called us to prayer this um, uh, this week, uh, March the 1st, which is today, uh, through to next week, um, based on the theme, Enjoying God. He has, uh, if you go onto the PCI website, you'll get lots of details there. Um, I think we did send you uh, just the copies of the Let's Pray, if you are on our email list, and those have uh, topics for each day. Um, I'm not, I mean, I didn't really want to have a whole series of prayer meetings, um, and I didn't get a, lot, a chance really to talk to the elders much about it. Um, but so I am free on Tuesday evening, and so I, we're gonna, I'm going to come to the church on Tuesday at 7.30, um, and there's a choir in here, so the front door should be open, and we'll go to the second floor um, and just have a time of prayer, and we'll see what God wants us to do. I'm kind of looking forward to it, uh, whether I'm on my own or whether I have people with me. Um, and uh, just really just pouring out our heart to God. There's so much that needs to be prayed for within the church and within our land, um, and I want to encourage us, I really do, um, to meet together when, you're, when we're doing things like Caterpillar Kids or International Cafe as teams, that we would really pray, and that we would just, in, as it were, just be called to a, a sort of sense of increased prayer, particularly not just for ourselves, but for our church and for our land as well. Um, and uh, we have guidance to do that. So I want to encourage you to do that and to be positive about it. Uh, International Cafe continues to meet. Um, if you have any questions or want to make contact, you can see, I hadn't quite spotted that before, but there's an uh, email address there, internationalcafearpc at gmail.com. So you can uh, use that as well. Then a new announcement, um, craft coffee and crack at the manse. Where would you get it? Do you know? Um, so that doesn't involve me, by the way. You know, I'd probably be working somewhere, but uh, Karen's the one with a crack in our house. So, uh, so we've got caf cof craft coffee and crack at 10 a.m. to 12 on Thursday mornings. And uh, you're very welcome. Uh, there is a group who, has been do who did this before, and uh, they're welcome, of course, but if you would like to come, then bring a craft you're working on or try something new um, as well. So Salt Project, of course, meets this Saturday, uh, 7th of March. Um, 
Living Well meets this Saturday as well, 10.30 for 11 at the home of Alan and Heather Moore in Bray. So more information there, um, and uh, we will, uh, yeah, God willing, be able to meet at that time. I see we're even selling cars in church as well in, in number eight, if you would like a, Nis, a Nissan Qashqai um, for that amount of money, that's good. Um, and the home groups there as well. So those are all the announcements. And uh, let me call you to worship by looking at Psalm number two. Um, if you have your Bibles, you could open that. Um, uh, it's page 543 in your Bibles, I think. The passage in Joshua chapter 8 is not an easy passage, um, but the Psalms are places that we tend to go because we like them and because they speak about from, from the heart. And, and I suppose what I want us to see in this is how powerful our God is. So verse 1, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So the world is opposed, as it were, to our God. But look at verse 4. What does God do? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion my holy hill. Folks, that's what we will be looking at today. We'll be looking at the, the enormity of the person of Jesus Christ, the warrior king. And that is the, what is set up here, this kind of choice that we have to make in our lives. Do we follow Jesus or do we follow the world and its ways? And there are consequences, of course, in what we do. So this next psalm, or this hymn that we're going to sing, is based not on Psalm 2, but on Psalm 104. But really, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, O oh, worship the King, all glorious above. So let's stand and sing this hymn together. Father, we thank you for the calm after the storm. Uh, we thank you for the brightness and the beauty of the day that you have given us today, a day that allows us to come together and to worship together, our great and glorious King. And Father, we, I suppose, have pictures in our minds of the storm that we might have seen in the news, um, of the waves just majestically, powerfully uh, bursting against the rocks and spraying high into the air. And Father, we do know the power of the wind to overturn trucks and to blow down trees and to cause damage. And Father, this is a world that you are in control of. And Father, we see in the Lord Jesus someone who was able to speak and everything immediately became calm. Father, we do not worship a God who is light. We do not worship a God who is inconsequential. 
we worship a God who is almighty, victorious, glorious, and keen. And Father, I pray that you will help us to see that that is who you are. And yet, Father, when we come to you, we are not to be afraid because you are for us and not against us. You desire that we would have relationship with you and not turn our backs on you. And Father, you have proven that by giving us your son and by allowing him to die on the cross instead of us. So we remember the bread and the wine. We think about the table at the front and we declare that it teaches us afresh that you love us deeply and that you want a relationship with us. And Father, how privileged we are, how privileged we are to come and to be able to hear from you this morning. And I pray that you will help us to listen and to memorize, to be able to take it into our hearts and apply it to our lives, and that you will be able to help us to speak it out and to be able to live it. So, Father, we thank you for this great privilege of being able to come and worship you this morning. And, Father, as we come, we may be conscious that we are sinful. I certainly am. And, Father, I pray that you would forgive us our sins and that, Father, that we might look into our own hearts. And it may be that these things that we are conscious of are not huge things, but, Father, the attitude behind them is rebellious. The attitude behind them is that we will do what we want to do. The attitude behind them is that we do not submit ourselves to you. And, Father, that is what we need to repent of. And that is what we need to see is, I suppose, what is most antagonistic to you. And so, Father, I pray that you will humble us and that we will submit ourselves to you because, Father, we, 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 we forfeit so much. We forfeit your blessing. We forfeit your goodness. We forfeit the peace that you bring us in relationship. And, Father, we, we ask that through the, the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus that you would forgive us our sins. So, Father, we pray that in, uh, you would be with us, everybody who takes part this morning, that you will bless them and that you will help them to do their part well. And we join together to say the prayer that uh, Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask Matthias to come to the front. And I'm going to give him a microphone, which is always very dangerous. There you go, Matthias. Okay, very good. Now, the reason that Matthias is at the front is that he was recently at a Christian Bible camp during half term. And so, Matthias, I want you to tell us who it was for and where it happened. Do you understand that question? Yes. 
What age group? So the age group. Oh, Did you turn it on? It is on, I think. Is that on, Aaron? Is it on? Yeah, that's, that's it. it. So it was from ten to twelve, and it was on Drewstown House, I think. Yeah, I went with my friend Finn Lynch. Okay. He was the one who pointed the camp out to me, and I really enjoyed it. I also met some of his friends there. Brilliant. But my the part I really liked most for us how the games were and how we could like so we so explaining better. So my favorite part was something called the messy games. So it was messy, as the name says itself. So we were divided into teams. So and with your team you did a series of things and you got points by doing them. And most of them were messy. So for example, this is one of them. We had to dunk our face into va we had to dunk our faces into Vaseline and then dunk them into cotton buds. We had to run over to a chair and shake our faces so all the cotton buds fell down. And it was really funny. Um, let me see another thing. Another thing was when you put a chocolate on your forehead and you've got to make it drop down to your mouth using only your face. That was fun as well. Yeah, so there was a few others. For example, this was with, with the leaders, their shoe. So first, one of them was the cooks made a huge, like three huge bowls of spaghetti, and each of the people of each team took a handful of them and put it on the leader's head. <laughs> it was really funny. So in the en in the end, like they end up all messy. Another thing was. I'm going to stop you there, by the way, Matthias. <laughs> okay, good. Because well, uh, we don't. Well, we're enjoying that, by the way. That is brilliant, and you can talk to him later about that. So you had lots of messy games, and you really enjoyed it. So I want you to tell us now what you learned about God when you were there. Okay, so when apart we were from having fun, of course, which okay. is all part of it. So when we were there, we were studying Mark, and we studied a bit of Mark one and Mark two. We started some of Mark 1 when about John the Baptist, the first part of it, how he came and how he was telling us to repent from our sins. Another part was when, let me see, was when he came with Simon and Andrew to their house and to heal, their, to heal his mother. And then lots of people came to him. And we also read the other part where he went and, have, and went to a solitary place to have prayer. And we learned that also, the sorry, this is really annoying. <laughs> so we learn, we went, he, we we learned to that Jesus came here not only to came not only to just heal people, but to teach. So when they came to him and said that everybody's looking for you, he said, "Let's go somewhere else so I can teach." And he went out into all the into all Galilee, into villages and synagogues, teaching and praying and it's about that and like to show also like he healed people not only like just for healing them but to show how he has power so we learned so we studied that we also studied um on mark 2 about the man who was paralyzed and his friends dug a hole in the roof mm -hmm. on the house where jesus was to, and dropped him down to be healed and when jesus said your sins are forgiven some of the people who were there thought, he has no right to do that, only God can. And since he knew what they were thinking, he said, Which, that, like, that, what is easier, to say that or to heal someone who's been paralyzed for, since they were born? So he healed them, and 
Then they were all amazed and they said, we've never seen anything like this. And he did that so we could notice our greatest need, to have our, which is to have our sins forgiven. Brilliant. Well done. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. It, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up, walk? What do you think? Well, depending on who you are, if you're God, none of them are, um, any of them is the easiest. Okay. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I was going to ask you, did you bring the book for something, Matthias? That was very good, by the way. Did you bring the book for something? Is, is oh, I, thought, I thought I was going to have to explain a bit more because you suggested this. Okay. Maybe we'll have you preach someday. That would be good. Yeah. That was excellent, by the way. So, yeah, just to encourage you that, that we can do these things and that there's lots of opportunities for children to enjoy themselves at different age groups, um, and we want to encourage that. We really, we really do. Well, let's turn in our Bibles then to Joshua chapter 8. Uh, we're going to read the first 29 verses, and Ian is going to come and read that to us. Good morning, everybody. Hard to follow the f previous speaker, but I'll try. Uh, it's quite a long passage I'm going to read, and I wondered, could I ask your assistance? Verses 1 and verses 18. The passage starts on page 222 in your pew Bibles, but when we reach verses 1 and 18, will you join with me and read out loud? So, continuing our theme of Joshua, starting at verse 1. We may do it together. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city and his land. Continuing in verse 2, you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king except that you may carry off the, their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it all of you to be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city and when the men come out against us as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city for they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai, 
with a valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions. All those in the camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Together, then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out to get the right and gravel that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising against the sky. And they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the desert had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from the city, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. The men of the ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of the city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He hung the king of Ai on a tree and left him there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body from the tree and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Thanks be to God for its reading. Thank you. Well, before the boys and girls go out, we're going to sing a song. Uh, what a wonderful Savior is Jesus. You'll know the, the uh, tune of this. And uh, so let's stand and just remind ourselves of what a great Savior Jesus is. Boys and girls, free time for you to go. Uh, so there's a crash downstairs. Um, parents can take their children there if they so wish, and they can hear the sermon. And the children aged 4 to 14 can go out now.
Well, if you have your Bibles open at uh, Joshua chapter 8, we'll um, have a look at this together. I have to say before I begin that I have been very conscious this week, uh, particularly even in talking to people, and and some folks have expressed this to me, uh, that they have found Joshua chapter 7 particularly difficult. Um, The idea of a God of anger, a God who he appears to be um, just but in a harsh kind of way, where punishment truly comes um, is, is something that I think we struggle with. Um, and, and I suppose what I want to say to you folks is that I understand that, that I want to connect with you about that. Um, but I have a responsibility, of course, to teach the Word as it's here and, and to, to make God known as He is. Um, but I, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that God is loving and that He is wanting the very best for us in this. But these are true of His character as well. And I was reading this morning, I was thinking about this in uh, Hebrews 4. I haven't looked it up, but it says that the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it penetrates, doesn't it, to the soul, the joints, the marrow. And, and I think it's painful, folks, at times. And I've been very conscious of that in my own life because, because what God wants me to do, so often I just say no to. I do. And I'm a minister at the front of this church. And it's wrong. But it's the default of my own heart. And I think what I'm trying to say to you is as we look at this again, we need to understand that we need to wrestle with these, these texts. And we need to work out for ourselves what it really means at this time. Because God has humiliated Israel. They have experienced the anger of God. The covenant was violated. The relationship with God was broken. Instead of blessing, there is punishment. 36 people have died. They've been humbled militarily. And Joshua is afraid. And he is dismayed, as many of you are because God has delivered his righteous judgment on Achan and his family. It's a tough time. What will happen next? Let's pray, and let's ask God to help us understand. Father, I realize that your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And I suppose it struck me this morning that that at times it's it's not meant to be easy in some ways. It is meant to really go deep and disturb us and to challenge us. But the intention is, as a surgeon, to do it gently and persuasively and to remove what is wrong so that that which is good can prosper, and that is your spirit. So I really pray, Father, that you will help us to engage with this text. It's a tremendous story. It's a powerful story. And I pray that we will understand it well, and we will be able to apply it to our lives. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, right, um, I've lost this again. Um, Right, God, I think we have some things here. See if they work. Oh, sorry, I haven't got it on, Aaron. That's my problem. Okay, the first one is, 
that God restores. I was delighted the way that Ian read that and the two verses that he has highlighted are the two verses that I want to kind of primarily preach on because God does turn from his fierce anger and he approaches, quickly approaches Joshua. He is immediately tender-hearted and sensitive. He understands the emotional trauma for Joseph or for Joshua and the Israelites regarding what has happened, the responsibility he has borne, the disappointment he feels, and he speaks to him restorative words. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And in saying that, he's saying much more, isn't he? He's saying that your sin is atoned for. Remember, they had collective responsibility. You are forgiven. Your sin is forgotten. In love, he keeps no record of wrongs, as I read last week. Isn't it worth pausing here just at the very beginning and just basking in that? The grace and the mercy of God. In Christ, we are not failures in his eyes. They were not written off and neither are we. They were forgiven sinners and so are we. They are his, and he has not abandoned them. He is not surprised by their failure. Instead, he sees their worth and potential, and he quickly restores. In the gospel, we say to you with confidence, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, even when you've let the Lord down and you're conscious of your sin. Because in Christ, we are forgiven, and he has forgotten. I want us just to remember that as we go into this passage, because that is what he wants to do. And in this next part, we have God's perfect plan. I had a whole section there on the responsibility or responsibility in God's sovereignty, but I'm going to leave that out. So the next section is preparations, action, perfection, and completion in God, of God's plan. I know that some of the younger folks, and if you do want them, uh, we have these little sheets that you can fill in, and that's the answer to the second part as well. So you have it up there. You can write it in in that way. If you want a structure for this, um, it can be subdivided in preparations in verses 3 to 13. The plan is put into action in verses 14 to 23. And verses 24 to 29, the plan is perfected and completed. And I want us to take a big picture of this. When I was doing this, I did it on a piece of paper. I have a video. To, can we have that, Arne? We'll take a minute to put that up. Um, yeah, I want you to watch this video because this really is, um, this is a, a youth video. Uh, so this is a guy teaching what happens in this section. This is what I would have done, probably not as well as this and certainly not as humorously. So listen to this. Okay. Well, there you go. And that is exactly what is written here. That is the battle that took place, and that is how that story ends. But I want to take you to verse 29, and I want to take you to the very end of the story. Um, and what is raised, I suppose just to get you to think about that, what is raised up at the end? You see it there, it says, and they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. It's a permanent reminder 
and a marker of the terrible reality of that battle. I did have some unease about the kind of humorous side of that, but I mean, it was a very good explanation of what actually happened. And I suppose what I want us to do, if we will, um, is to look at this next part, which is Joshua the warrior king. And that is really, uh, I suppose, a, a dramatization of it, and that's where we go to in verse 18. If you look at your Bibles in verse 18, you'll see the image of Joshua with his javelin in his hand, and that is significant. It's a sign for the attack to begin properly. And in verse 26, if you look as well, he says, For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. I used to call it Ai, by the way, so I'm kind of conflicted up here, but everybody I've met so far has called it Ai. And I want you just to picture that, folks. So Joshua has his javelin in his hand or his spear, and he's holding it out. And we know that Joshua, as we've done that work at the beginning, is the same name for Jesus. It's a Hebrew name. So Joshua the warrior king, Jesus the warrior king. And it's a sign for him to attack. And I suppose I want us to see that. And one of the things that really struck me this week, and I'm not asking you to do it, but, but the way that we make the connection between Joshua and Jesus is going to be through the book of Isaiah. Now, in a nutshell, the book of Isaiah splits into three. Chapters 1 to 39 are all about Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. That's why we read Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, whenever we have the, um, you know, our, our sort of Christmas services. So it tells us something about the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah will be God with us. And we like that. And then we have verse, or chapters 40 to 55 telling us more things about the Messiah. And that, if you know, is about Jesus as the Messiah, the suffering servant. So Isaiah 53 in particular. But all of those chapters are telling us that the Messiah will also suffer. In fact, we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we like that part as well. But we also must read chapters 56 to 66, because that is the picture of the Messiah as the warrior king. And that's part of the revelation of the Messiah. So what does Joshua and the people of God see happen through their actions? You see that in verses 28 and 29. And when, when Ian read that, I could, you could sense it, couldn't it, within us? We don't like it. It's not easy to read. Because this whole city is destroyed. It's a permanent heap of ruins. It's literally burnt to the ground. It's desolate. The king dies by hanging on a tree. And the pile of stones encourages us to remember it. That's what the Bible is teaching us about our God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the suffering servant, and he is the warrior king. And so when you look at Isaiah chapter 61, and I think we should do that, actually. So if you go to Isaiah 61, it's page 7. 
four three in your Bibles. Sorry, seven four eight. I'm convinced I'm dyslexic with numbers, but there we go. Um, seven four eight. So, very interesting. If you, I'll read from verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release the, from darkness and release from darkness for the prisoners or the blind. And then verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Okay? The reader to the Hebrews calls Jesus a consuming fire. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that death will be destroyed. And all of that is on the second coming of Jesus. And that's what I want us to really grasp if we can, because I think that's how we apply this passage in Joshua chapter 8. We are now looking at the completion of the victory. We're looking at the story of salvation as it finishes with the complete and perfect victory of the Lord and His people. And that is not, and that is not, <clears throat> you know, what He does then is sadly through death, He places all those who are not with Him in that permanent state, what the Bible, the Bible calls it the second death. It's awful. And ultimately, I do not want to speak to you about it because it's hell. And yet, folks, that is our only hope because He is our only hope. If we, the redeemed, are to live in heaven for eternity and on the earth recreated, as God says is the final picture for us, then it must be without sin. It must be without death, and it must be without Satan and those who choose to follow him. There must be a complete and a perfect victory. They must be totally eradicated. They must totally be put beyond reach and put in a place where for eternity they cannot be restored. And that is is God's justice and His love in action. And some of you, of course, will know that whenever we read the passage from Isaiah, that that is exactly the passage that Jesus read when He came to at the beginning of His ministry that is recorded in Luke chapter 4. When he was asked to read in the synagogue, he opened the scroll at Isaiah 61 and 60, uh, 61, 1 and 2, but he stopped reading the second half of the verse because it isn't the day of vengeance. This is the day of salvation. Now is the time for us to be right with God because the day of vengeance, when it comes, will be terrible. And there's nothing that we can do about it because it, it, it comes after death or when Jesus comes again. And folks, that was the purpose of his first coming, and it remains so. When he comes the second time, he does not come as Emmanuel. 
He does not come to us as the suffering servant. He has already come that way. He will come as the warrior king, and the time for salvation is over. You see, Jesus, the warrior king, wins perfectly and completely. And what a future he has promised for those who are on his side, who recognize him as king, and for those who don't, well, this pile of stones is a reminder of the serious reality of eternal punishment. And I want us to respond to that. We're going to sing in a moment, just when I survey the wondrous cross. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. When did such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's sing in response to God's word. Continuing to read Joshua chapter 8 on page 223 of the Pew Bibles. And the heading here is The Covenant Renewed at Mount Ebal. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. <clears throat> on it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests, who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded them. He gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Amen. Thank you, Myrtle. Well, I just want to, this is our introduction really to the communion, and uh, we have one more slide there, Aaron. I think, um, yeah, that's what we're really going to be talking about. So, so Joshua has just seen this amazing victory. It's been brutal but it's a reality. And then they're in the promised land at this time. And I suppose the question is, what should they do next? Why did they build an altar, for example, on Mount Ebal? And the answer is that God has given them very specific instructions that they were to follow when they entered the land. 
You see that in verses 31 and 33. And you can read it, of course, in Deuteronomy chapters 27 to 30, and some of you may have already done that. And now what has happened is that those words were given from God to Moses and put on the tablets of stone, and then they were given to Joshua. And now Joshua, in verse 32, has had them copied onto stones so that all the people of Israel can read them. And so this is the written Word of God. This is how they know what to do. They are to follow the instructions that God has given them in the Word of God. And they were careful to do just that. The second thing that happens here is that the reason that they are here is because they had broken the covenant with God. If you go to chapter 7 and verse 11, you'll see that Israel had sinned. They had violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things, etc. And so this is a renewal of the covenant. And actually, the geography of the place is interesting because Mount Ebal is a stony mountain to the north. And that's where they get the stones for the altar, the uncut stones. It's about 32 kilometers north of Ai. Mount Gerizim is to the south of that, and it is a wooded and fruitful mountain. And actually between the two mountains, there is a valley called the Valley of Shechem, and it's about three kilometers wide. And that's where the people gather with the priests and the Ark of the Covenant between these two mountains. And they offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice of, for sin, an atonement for their sins of having broken the, command, uh, the covenant. And as we've been trying to say to you, that is relational. It's because they, they broke the relationship with God. So they also sacrificed the fellowship offering or the peace offering, which was to reestablish the relationship that they had with God. Righteousness and peace, both are required, and both are given by God through the sacrifice of another. An animal in this case, and of course for us, we will be looking at the Lord Jesus. The atoning sacrifice removes all guilt and establishes a proper relationship between the repentant nation and her covenant Lord. And I do want you to look at verse 33. Because at the end of it, it says, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. God truly wants to bless us because God truly is good and he is loving. And for us, the sacrifice of God's only son, Jesus Christ, is good and is loving, and is a blessing. If you want to go back to the Old Testament, you will remember that Abraham met a king called Melchizedek, and he was a priest of righteousness, and a priest of Salem, a priest of peace. And Jesus Christ is that priest. He is that king. He is the priest and the king of righteousness and the priest of peace. And in his sacrifice, 
He has atoned for our sins and the offering of forgiveness. He has secured peace with God. And it, it brings us into a personal relationship with God that is indissolvable. It is not threatened by sin. It is not threatened by death. It lasts into eternity. And so we in faith and gratitude live to please our Lord and Savior by living in obedience to His word of instruction. To put it another way, covenant blessing, forgiveness, and peace with God demands covenant obligation in response to His grace. Trust and obey as we sing, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and away. And that's where this little picture comes, because this is taken from the gospel idea of two ways to live. And, and I have really been struck by that this week, folks. That is, that I've seen this in my own heart on two occasions, which I'm not going to tell you about, of just sheer rebellion. Minor things, but just an attitude of rebellion in my heart. And that's what that means, isn't it? We are the ones who have the crown on our heads. We want to live the way that we want to do. And you see, last week we were confronted by how our society is so focused on the individual, and that's contrary to God's focus, which is on the family and the community, the church and the nation, and our interdependence, not our independence. And we struggle with that. And so here we struggle, don't we? Because our society says, don't depend on anyone. Run your own lives as we see fit. God might help, but He isn't our Lord. And we're falsely confident in our own abilities. And the anthem for our generation is Sinatra's I Did It My Way. And obedience to another has become a hateful concept. No one has the right to tell me what to do or what not to do. And therefore, folks, whenever we're converted, whenever we come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, there is a huge amount of work to do, reprogramming, relearning how we are to live under Christ's rule. Folks, there cannot be a rescue if we will not submit to the rescuer's rule. There are only two ways to live. That is the challenge of what we've read in Joshua chapter 8. That is what that is ultimately all about. Living under the lordship of Jesus, which is a blessing, or living under our own lordship, which is not a blessing. And the pile of stones reminds us of the final destiny, as this reminds us of the depth of love and the final de destiny that we have as well. So we will be taking this sacrament as a reminder of an atoning sacrifice and a sacrifice of peace for us. And God has renewed the covenant with us, and He wants us to remember it. And so for each of us, we need to renew our covenant with Him to say, I love you, Jesus, and I will follow you by obedience to your word. And I pray that we will, so that we can be blessed. Amen.
So let us prepare ourselves for this communion. Um, brothers. Lord, we thank you for the bread and wine and the fellowship that we have shared. I pray that just as this bread and wine nourishes our physical bodies for daily work, may this act of communion nourish our spirits to be united with one another for the work of your, for the work of your kingdom and united in giving you the glory for the great things you have done. The moderator has called for the church to dedicate the coming week to prayer, focusing on enjoying God. And today, Sunday, March the 1st, specifically enjoying the power of God. From the moment of creation, your invisible qualities, your eternal power and divine nature were clear to be seen in your created world. Not a world formed by some random big bang, as worldly learning will, will try to persuade us, but a world created out of nothing by your spoken word, sustained day by day through the amazing processes of nature, the movement of the earth, the ebb and flows of the sea, the wind carrying life-giving rain, the growth of plants fueled by the heat of the sun. Not random processes, but sustained day by day by the power of your word and uh, for our daily bread, we give you thanks. Father, we thank you that you give us access to this unimaginable power, this power that can move mountains when we pray. Father, forgive us for underestimating this special access, for not praying first, but rather muddling along in our own strength. Father, may Joshua be a reminder to all of us of the amazing things you do when we trust and obey. Father, uh, we know that creation is groaning. Many people are suffering from the effects of storms, floods, natural disasters, and the whole world is worried about the spread of the coronavirus. Father, we pray that you will once again calm the storm, heal the sick, and that you will stop the spread of the virus and that many people will turn and give you the glory. We pray that you would make this church and all of us here faithful servants in building your kingdom. Father, we pray for our political readers as they work to form a government. They pray, we pray that they will put aside selfish interests and work to tackle the big challenges, homelessness, and to build a fair society that protects our well-being peace and freedom. When we reflect on our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, we begin to realize how blessed we are here. We thank you uh, for prayers answered for Asi Bibi, released from, from, from prison and a death sentence in Pakistan. It is great to see her and her girls interviewed on TV just in the last couple of days. We thank you for organizations like Church of Chains, that fight for justice for those who have been falsely imprisoned for their faith. Church and Chains in their Lent prayer projects ask us to pray for, for Soman Mashi, a father of three, a Pakistani street sweeper accused of blasphemy and who has been in prison since 2013 and facing a death sentence. In September last year, 
in this church. We prayed that his scheduled appeal would be heard. But unfortunately, it was once again adjourned. Father, we ask that you move the mountain in Pakistan and that Swaman will be set free and that he and his family will find safety. Father, you call your followers to, to go and make disciples of all nations. We heard from Alfred Thompson a few weeks ago how, Wycliffe, how the Wycliffe organization is doing just that in the Luma project in South Asia. Lord, we specifically pray for a man also called Alfred who is translating Proverbs and First Corinthians to the local language and the many challenges he faces. We pray for his wife, restore her to health following her recent uh, giving, uh, recently giving birth. Pray for their, their cramped housing conditions that they share with an extended family and for the persecution he faces for his Christian beliefs. Father, we are privileged to, in this church to be able to support these organizations with our finances. We also bring them especially to you in our prayers. We pray for our church leaders, for our Minister Sam session, committee members and leaders of all church organizations, that we will be united in one purpose, to make your name known and that you will be glorified in this place. All these things we ask in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rick. Well, folks, let's stand to finish our service by singing, O Jesus, I Have Promised, which I hope is a hymn that you will know. Well, let's bless each other with these words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.